My prayer is that as we finish this series, that, um, that we are able to say with Job what he said right there. Um, the Lord can do all things, and nothing that he wants to do can be thwarted uh, in your life and in mine. And, and that isn't always in line with what we want with our life. And uh, it, it takes a lot of uh, time, I think, for us to come to the realization that, 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 that we are not, in fact, in, in complete and total control of our own lives and what happens to us and, and what we can do and what we should do. Uh, we, we really do need to lean on God for those things and recognize that, that he wants us to. Uh, we're in the book of Job, if you're, uh, if you're visiting here this morning, and this morning I want to start out with one word, uh, and that word is theology. Theology uh, can be a big word, can be a loaded word. Theology is the study of God. Uh, it is the science of God. And I read this week that it used to be called the queen of sciences. Uh, it used to be called the queen of sciences because it deals with the most important knowledge that we could ever have. And that's knowledge about God. Theology is a necessary science, but it's also a very difficult one. It's very difficult for it is our attempt to know the unknowable. Theology is our attempts to know the unknowable. Uh, that, and that is simply the truth about our sovereign and almighty God. Uh, the Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from whom and through whom and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Makes me wonder if Paul didn't read the book of Job. <laughs> right? Really sounds familiar to uh, what we are learning in the book of Job. And, and there's many ways that God has revealed himself to us where we are in our world today. He's revealed himself to us in his creation. Um, in his provision, in the pages of his word, and ultimately, we have seen God through the incarnation. Jesus Christ, God with us, our Savior, our Rescuer. And then many times, we can't even grasp the things that God has revealed to us. He says, this is who I am, and we look at that and go, what in the world is that? We just can't understand it. It's not clear to us at all sometimes. St. Augustine said, What then is the God I worship? You are the most hidden from us and yet the most present among us. The most beautiful and yet the most strong. Ever enduring and yet we cannot comprehend you. I mean, if you think you understand God and you comprehend everything about God and who he is and, and what he's doing in the world, then you need to step back and recognize that you have no clue what you're talking about. Um, it, it's just a fact. Uh, as we work through these chapters today in the book of Job, I, I hope that the word worship also comes to mind often. Worship, praise, as we learn and hear from the word of God today, may our response be worship. May we think about God in a worthy 
manner. Uh, A.W. Tozer said, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. Hmm. Who of us this morning here or watching or listening online have not attempted at some time in our life to explain God to someone or, or maybe even to defend him? You know, somebody comes to you with an accusation about your God and you feel like it's your place. You're like, you, you have to get this right. I've got to defend God. I, I've got to make sure that they understand who God is. That is what Elihu is attempting to do today in the four chapters that we're going to go through in the book of Job. If we're attempting to explain and defend our almighty God, which I think there are times when we do have to have and we do need to have those conversations, but when we do, we must do so humbly, in a humble way, with the heart of a worshiper. You know, regarding knowledge, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, Paul says. But knowledge puffs up. We ought to be careful with knowledge because knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Elihu's posture, I think, falls into the puffing up category in, in these four chapters. He is bursting with knowledge. Uh, he is swelling, and, and I would even go as far to say he is pontificating. Over and over, Elihu exhorts those listening to him. Listen carefully. Be sure you hear what I say. He says, pay attention. Be silent. Hear my words. Now, that could be also because he's been going on and on for so long. People are falling asleep, and he's like, hey. Now, I hope that doesn't happen this morning. Elihu lists two of Job's complaints that he's going to discuss, and, and they both surround God's justice here in this first chapter, chapter 34, book of Job. If you haven't turned there yet, please turn to the book of Job, chapter 34. You see, our God is indeed just. Um, we may not feel it. We may not feel like he is all of the time. Um, we may wish he worked his justice in other ways. There there are injustices in our world which we should root out as best as we can, but God himself, he is perfectly just. He is perfectly just. There will never be an immoral application of his justice. There, he doesn't sweep things under the rug and he doesn't unnecessarily apply justice. He applies it perfectly. He is perfect. God is just. Elihu says in Job 34 verses 5 and 6, Job says, I am innocent, but God denies me justice. Although I am right, I am considered a liar. Although I am guiltless, his arrow inflicts an incurable wound. Job, who says, claims that God is being unjust to him. I'm not hearing anything from God. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing all of this suffering. Um, God is treating me unjustly. That's how Job feels. God is unjust. And I messed up that first line there in your notes. It doesn't match the blanks. Just cross that, that one word out and put God is unjust. So Elihu, upon this accusation of Job that God is unjust, feels compelled to defend God. And he gives three arguments to prove that there is no injustice with God. 
So as we've said all along, and for those of you who are just joining us today, it's not like the three friends of Job and Elihu have have been wrong in many of the things that they have said about God, about sin, about how we need to respond to God when we are sinning and repentance and those things. It's not that they have been wrong about those things. It's they're talking to the wrong guy in the wrong time. They're kind of shooting their own wounded, so to speak. And Elihu gives three arguments to prove that there is no injustice with God. He says in verses 10 through 15 that if God is unjust, then he is not God. Yes, I agree. Uh, Look at verse 12, chapter 34. It is unthinkable that God would do wrong, that the Almighty would pervert Justice. He says that God, he, he, then, he also says that God is paying back sinners for their sin. Look at verse 11. He repays everyone for what they have done. He brings on them what their conduct deserves. Now, most of the time, these friends and maybe even Elihu think that that's in the moment. That's right now. You do wrong, God punishes you immediately. But as we have learned throughout the course of the book of Job, God doesn't always punish sin immediately. And he doesn't always reward right living immediately. God does what God does. And and we need to live our life with him. Period. Uh, I mean, we know from experience and from the previous chapters that it isn't as black and white as Elihu is trying to say. Which is why Elihu's point that God is sovereign is so reassuring. I don't get it. I don't understand it. I can't line it all up. It it, it makes no sense to me sometimes why God does this, why he didn't do that, why he allowed this, why he caused this, why, I mean, I don't, I don't understand, but I do know that he, we sing it in, in, we sing it in, in Bible school. God has the whole world in his hands and not just our world, but all of the worlds, all of the galaxies, the, the entire universe. He is that big. We can't even begin to fathom how big God is. We, we start looking and talking about numbers in relation to the universe, and I'm just like, I, there's nothing to compare that to. I have nothing to compare that to. God is so big that everything is so small relative to him. I need to remember that. I need to understand that. The book of Job magnifies God's sovereignty I mean, I struggle with things like, why did my mom or my dad or other people for that matter die from cancer? Why? That doesn't seem fair. My parents were good people, relatively speaking. Sinful, yes. Saved, yes. Righteous in the eyes of God, yes. It doesn't seem fair. Why do people who follow the law and the rules and make good financial decisions lose everything? Job did. I'm sure you know somebody. Man, they were doing it right, and all of a sudden, they got nothing. It doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem just to us. It seems unjust. Why are loving parents who want to do everything in their power to raise a family in the Lord unable to have children? That just doesn't seem right. God, why would you do that? Why? Wouldn't you bless them? Uh, And instead, there are couples in our world who they're not caring for their bodies and they're not loving parents, and yet they have the gift of children. It doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem just. 
And I don't know the answers to those questions, but God does. God knows the answers to those questions, and he can be completely trusted because we know from the book of Job that even though we can't see it, God is working. God is working for you. He is working on your behalf. He is behind the scenes. If, if he's not in front of your face, it's not that he's not there. He is right there. He is right there with you and beside you. Elihu was right on target. God is sovereign and he cannot do wrong. A second argument Elihu makes is that if God is unjust, there could be no just government on earth. And immediately you think, well, does a just government even exist? Well, okay, I get that. And I know there's lots of debate about government and all of that. We're not getting into that today. Um, but what we are told, uh, let's look at verse 16, 17, and 18 in Job. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to what I say. Can someone who hates justice govern? Now, an easy answer to that would be yes, but not well. Right? A good government would govern with justice. Will you condemn the just and mighty one? Is he not the one who says to kings, you are worthless and to nobles, you are wicked? Luke chapter 1 Verses 52 and 53. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. You know, we like to complain when things in government don't go our way. We like to whine and cry and and look, we need to do what we can to move our governments, our, our local government, our state government, our national government in the right direction. As much as we are able to be a part of that. And then whatever the decision is in this nation as a republic, whatever that decision is in the end, we, take, we get up the next morning, we take another step of faith with our God um, have you ever known somebody who was just so afraid that, um, that, that, the, uh, um, that the one world ruler was going to come into power? We need to do everything we can to stop that. And, and I just, when I hear those words in that way, I think, if God wants, it's, it's all under his control, right? If God wants that person to come into power, I'm not going to stop it. God's going to do what he's going to do. And in the midst of the chaos in our world and what's going on, yes, we stand on truth. Yes, we stand on truth with love. But as we go forward, if it's not going the way we want it to, we grab onto our Savior and we cling on to him because he's still in charge. He is still in control. We are, in some ways, along for the ride. And that's honestly where I, I man, I want to be there. I, when I was little, my brothers had these, these motorbikes. They were uh, dirt bikes. And there was this gravel pit that we had. And they would always go up there and they would run up the side of it and jump over the top. And once in a while, they would let me go. Man, what a ride. I was screaming the whole way. I mean, I think they were intentionally kind of trying to scare me a few times, but... It was exhilarating. It was an adventure. And, and they, they never wrecked. They never hurt me. I was along for the ride. 
And that's what, I mean, I, we should be on the back of God's motorcycle with our arms wrapped around him, screaming and yelling for the adventure, not because we want him to stop. God, I just want to, just help me hold on to you. Just help me hold on to you. Remember, God is not only just, he is also working out his plan of redemption that satisfies both his justice and his love. He is sovereign. Because of the cross, God can redeem sinners and still magnify his righteousness and uphold his holy law. A third argument Elihu made was that if God were unjust, then he must not see what is going on in the world. I mean, well, that's just, there's just no way that's true. Way too much evidence to the contrary. A human judge hears a case and makes the, the, the best decision that he or she can, and sometimes they're wrong. But God, never wrong. Never, never, never wrong. Never wrong. He sees every step. He knows where we're headed. He knows where he wants us to go. And there is nowhere, nowhere that we can hide from him. And he is always right. Psalm 139, verses 7 through 13. Look up here on the screen. Where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The light will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You don't love yourself this morning. You know what? Jesus does because he made you. He made you exactly who he wanted you to be. He gave you that nose. Sometimes I complain about that. He gave you the color of your hair. He, he born you into the family that you're born into. He knit you together in your mother's wombs, womb. And, and one of Job's complaints was that, that God was silent and had hidden his face, face from him. God, you're, and we hear David say that too in, in the Psalms. God, it's, 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 it's that feeling of loneliness. And, and not just loneliness from people, it's like I can't sense God either. And it feels like he has left me. Uh, Elihu comments in verse 29, but if he remains silent, God, who can condemn him? If he hides his face, who can see him? Yet he is over individual and nation alike. In other words, God is always there. He has not ignored you. He has not left you. He has not ignored people's sin. And I'm not sure judging the judge is a good move. But that's what Job does. Now, God did wait four centuries to judge the wicked nations in Cana. 400 years God waited to judge them. Anybody in here live over 400 years? 100? Okay, let's, let's lower that a little bit. 100 and... Um, 
God waited 120 years before sending the flood. Now, if you were alive at that time and you saw the chaos in the world and, and you, if they were able in that time to turn on their news and, and watch reports about what was going on in the world, do you think they would think that sin was just God just said, hey, you know what, run amok? It would feel that way, wouldn't it? God waited 120 years before judging the world. And, and even then, he provided a rescuer. He saved a remnant. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Shouldn't we be thankful that God is patient and gives people an opportunity to repent? We just need to resign ourselves to the fact that God rewards and blesses people on his terms, not ours. And in, in his timing and not ours. Vengeance and ultimate justice is up to him. Yes, we do as far as we are able to help people be treated right, to, be, to, to, to have justice in this world. Yes. We do need to take action for that, but God is in charge. God is just, no doubt about it. A second complaint of Job's that Elihu tackles is that there is nothing to be gained by being obedient to God. That there is nothing to be gained by being obedient to God. Uh, verses 7, 8, and 9, Elihu says, Is there anyone like Job who drinks scorn like water? He keeps company with evildoers. He associates with the wicked, for he says there is no profit in trying to please God. There is nothing to be gained from obeying God. And we feel that way sometimes because we operate in a if this, then this mode. That's how we think. If you were... Your job is probably performance-based. You perform, you get a paycheck. You don't perform, you get fired. You sell lots of cars, you get lots of commission. You sell lots of houses, you get lots of commission. You don't work hard at selling houses, then what? You're sitting on the street corner, says, you know, we'll work for food. You're not going to have income. You're not going to be able to support yourself. Look at Job chapter 35, verses 5, 6, and 7. Elihu says, Look up at the heavens and see. Gaze at the clouds so high above you. If sin, if you sin, how does that affect God? If your sins are many, what does that do to him? If you are righteous, what do you give to him or what does he receive from your hand? First of all, Job never, ever, ever bargained with God. I mean, that was Satan's whole accusation to begin with. Well, the only reason that Job is faithful to you is because you have given him all this stuff. It's because you've blessed him with all of this. It's because you protect his family. And God said to Satan, all right, to show you that that's not the case, do what you want with Job and all of his stuff, but don't touch his health. And, and he does. And we see, you know, in the first book, uh, Job, Job proclaims, God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Whew. 
that's a faithful man. And then Satan again, he's, he's like, he's not giving up. He's like, ah, well, you know, he's, you didn't let me touch his, his health. If he were sick, then he would turn on you and, and you would find out that he's only been uh, faithful to you because. And, and God says, okay. Do what you want with him, but don't kill him. Yeah, I, I, and I know there's some people right now listening or watching or in this room who are feeling a kinship with Job. It's like I, I, am, I, I am experiencing his pain. I, I'm feeling what that feels like. What do we do if there's no relief to our burden? What do we say? What do we think? What if our suffering and pain and trouble and trials remain? What then? What then? What then? Well, nothing should change. We remain. We remain. We remain in him. We stay true. We continue to obey the commands of God. Why? Because God hasn't left us. He is still right here. He is still working. Uh, John chapter 6, verses 66 through 69 say this. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the, the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have to come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. There is nowhere else we can turn. Life is hard. Turn to God. Turn to Jesus. It's a beautiful name. It's a powerful name. It's the name that saves us. If God doesn't, um, in those dark times and hard times, God gives us songs, songs in the night. Paul and Silas sang songs while being chained in a, in a jail, wondering if they were going to live through the next day. Jesus, the night before he was crucified, went out with the, They sang hymns. He knows his end is coming on this earth, and they sang hymns. Psalm 42.8 says, By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. If, if God doesn't see fit to relieve us of our burdens, he will give us strength to bear them. We just got to hold on to him. We just got to hold on to him. And, and, and he may even give us a song to sing while doing it. I mean, it can be done. I have seen it from the mouth of people that I know. I don't understand this. I don't like it. I'm not looking forward to this. But you know what? God, is, God still loves me. He's still here with me. I'm holding on to him. Charles Spurgeon said, Any man can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight, but he is the skillful singer who can sing when there is not a ray of light by which to read. Elihu dismisses Job's complaints that he can't see God, but the important thing is that God sees Job. God sees you. He knows you better than you know yourself. Which is one of the reasons why we need to trust him 
in the midst of the things that are happening to us. God knows Job's case completely. The only thing Job needs to do is wait and trust. And that's a lesson that we need to learn when we are in the midst of the struggle, as we struggle through life, as we suffer and endure hardships and pains. Wait, trust, wait, trust. God is gracious, God is just, and God is also great and mighty. Elihu reminds Job and us of that in chapters 36 and 37. Uh, David in Psalm 8, 4 says, asks the question, What is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them, God. Why do you care for us? Why? Even in God's greatness, he is mindful of mankind. Even in God's greatness, he has a purpose for us. He, he is working out his purposes in the world. And there are many cases in our, in our world where the low on the totem pole people get nothing. The powerful people above them, they don't even see them. They don't even notice them. That is not the case with God. Elihu reminds us in verse 5 of chapter 36, God is mighty but despises no one. He is mighty and firm in his purpose. God is not ignoring Job and God is not ignoring us. He watches over sparrows. He, he dresses the lilies of the field. And if he cares for them, how much more does he care for the very being that he breathed life into? That's you. But as we see with the severity of Job's suffering, and as you consider the severity of your own, whether you're experiencing it now or have in the past or will in the future, Elihu has three fears that he mentions concerning Job. And I think it's good for us to hear these. First of all, Elihu says there are no shortcuts for, for getting out of suffering. Uh, Job 36, 18 and 19. Be careful that no one entices you by riches. Do not let a large bribe turn you aside. Would your health or even all your mighty efforts sustain you so you would not be in distress? I think it's obvious. I don't know what Elihu is thinking here, but you can't buy your way out of trouble. You can't buy your way. It's like paying a credit card off with another credit card. It, it, it doesn't work. The Wall Street Journal said it best. Money is an article which may be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven. Wall Street Journal. And as a universal provider for everything except happiness. Elihu also feared that Job might consider taking his own life. Contrary to nations in our world that have legalized euthanasia, our life is not in our own hands. It, is not ours. it wasn't ours to be given, and it's not ours to take. Job was a man of faith, though he acknowledged that his pain and suffering would be gone if God ended his life. He never, ever one time said, I'm, it's, I'm just going to end it. He maintained his hope in his God to get him through this time of darkness. And, and I'm not minimizing darkness in people's lives because it it's the real deal. There are, we have friends who struggle deeply with things. But, but leaving this earth, that is up to our creator. He is our hope in the midst of those things. And in that darkness, have you ever been in a dark room and you're like groping around trying to see things? That's, 
in that darkness, that's the one thing that we can do. We can grope for Jesus. Reach out to him. Reach out to him. Seek first the kingdom of God. Job was not about to enter the kingdom of God uninvited. And third, Elihu was concerned that Job might give up. Give up living right. Uh, Verse 21, beware of turning to evil, which you seem to prefer to affliction. Once again, seriously, Elihu, you and, and his three friends are just bent on the fact that there is some sin in Job's life that's causing God to do this. And it's not true. Job has tried over and over and over to defend himself. And and look, we can do that. We can defend ourselves and say, there isn't sin in my life. And if we haven't first got down on our hands and knees before God and said, God, is there anything in my life? Is there any wicked way in me? Please show it to me and lead me in the way of everlasting. That should be our first move. But God does not ever tell us that hard things in our life is strictly because we sin. Um, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 is that prayer. Search my heart, O God. Um, Galatians 6, 9, Paul says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. We get weary. We get tired. It's like, I'm not getting anything for this, right? I've been living my life right, and I just can't get ahead. That's not fair. Where's the justice? Well, that's not the way God's economy works. Don't give up, don't lose hope, and there are no shortcuts. God is great, and he is mindful of all of us. God, God is great. We, we see his power in nature. We just have to pay attention. And we have more access today to pictures of nature than we ever have before. I mean, all kinds of them. My Facebook feed is flooded with them, mostly of the state of Wyoming. And sometimes I just look at them and go, oh. God spoke that. This morning, I, I, uh, I like to stream, you know, those YouTube videos that say relaxing and peaceful music, and my wife thinks they're depressing and boring. And, um, but this morning, I was, I was, I, it was, the, the music was set to a uh, high-definition video of, the, of whales, the country, not the animal. Oh, it's beautiful. It was beautiful. I'm just like, God, you did that. I was watching. I don't live on the ocean. I don't know nothing about tides. I'm watching this big bay uh, of, of someplace in Wales, and there's this bridge, and water is just running under the bridge out to sea. And I'm like, there's no river there. And it's the tide pulling back, and there's this boat sitting on the ground, and I'm like, well, they're going to have to wait a while to get that boat floating because they got to wait till the tide comes in. You know, but I, I just the 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 gravitational pull of the moon Im- imposes its power on our Earth to raise and lower the water levels. It pulls the water up, and then it and then it lets the water. 
Seriously, our God created that. Our God created that. We need to make sure that we're paying attention to God's amazing work. Psalm 148, 5 through 8. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and clouds, stormy winds that do his... I mean, is is he talking about Wyoming right there? Because that's... And then, and then, Don Day, or uh, Elihu turns into Don Day. <laughs> and he starts talking about the weather, and it makes me wonder, while he's talking to, to uh, Job, is there not a storm on the horizon that he's watching build up? I mean, is God providing him illustration for what he's talking about right here? I didn't get the picture, but Roy sent me a picture a couple days ago, and it was a picture of a branch laying in the middle of the road, and he's like, he was driving a school bus, and he said, I, I messaged our transportation director yesterday and told him that this, this tree was leaning more than it was the day before. And I said, well, I guess it didn't have any lean left in it. And Roy says, I'm not sure if it made a sound. No, he said, I'm sure it made a sound. And I said, how do you know? You weren't there to hear it. And then I said this, and I wouldn't even have mentioned this if Roy hadn't said, can you put that in the sermon on Sunday? I I was just thinking about God. And I told Roy, I said, wouldn't it be cool if God had random trees on the planet that were absolutely silent when they fell to the ground? That they made no noise? Even when somebody was listening, somebody was standing there and this tree falls and they watch it fall. It's just silent. Because God can do whatever he wants. That would be so cool. And there are way more cooler things than trees that don't make noise when they're falling. And there are animals at the bottom of the ocean that we don't even know about. We haven't even explored the ocean floors enough to know everything about it, let alone space, the final frontier. God is amazing. Uh, Elihu talks, he goes through the seasons, and I'm not going to go through each one. He goes through autumn and winter and spring and summer in chapter 37. Uh, Verse 32 of chapter 36, he ends by saying, He fills his hands with lightning and commands it to strike its mark. His thunder announces the coming storm. Even the cattle make known its approach. I mean, animals are not dumb. They know when danger's coming. Verse verse 1 of 37, at this my heart pounds and leaps from its place. Listen, listen to the roar of his voice, to the rumbling that comes from his mouth. He unleashes his lightning um, beneath the whole heaven and sends it to the ends of the earth. Who doesn't like thunder? Man, when a thunderstorm comes, we open the windows because we like to hear it. I like to feel it. It And it's just a mere mere token of God's mighty power. When his voice resounds, he holds nothing back. Verse 5, God's voice thunders in marvelous ways. He does great things beyond our our understanding. He says to the snow, fall on lingo. 
and to the rain shower. Lingle the earth and to the rain shower. Be a mighty downpour so that everyone he has made may know his work. He stops all people from their labor. The animals take cover. They remain in their dens. The tempest comes out from its chamber. The cold from the driving winds. The breath of God produces ice and the, the broad waters become frozen. He loads the clouds with moisture. He scatters his lightning through them. At his direction, they swirl around over the face of the whole earth to do whatever he commands them. He brings the clouds to punish people or to, to water his earth and show his love. Listen to this, Job. Stop and consider God's wonders. Do you not know how God controls the clouds and makes his lightning flash? Do you not know how the clouds hang poised, those wonders of him who has perfect knowledge? You who swelter in your clothes when the land lies hushed under the south wind, can you join him in spreading out the skies hard as a mirror of cast bronze? Tell us what we should say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of our darkness. Should he be told that I want to speak? Would anyone ask to be swallowed up? Now no one can look at the sun, bright as it is in the skies, after the wind has swept them clean. Out of the north he comes in golden splendor. God comes in awesome majesty. The Almighty is beyond our reach and exalted in power in his justice and great righteousness. He does not oppress. Therefore people revere him, for does he not have regard for all the wise in the heart? God is just. God is great. He's way bigger than any problem you would have. We just need to lay those things down at his feet and trust him. Worship him, praise him. And, and for the remainder of this service today, what I want us to do is just that. If, if I, I pray that the spirit has been ministering to your heart in a way that as we sing these last songs, that the words draw you in to worship and and look it, it whatever is on your heart and your mind um craig is gone dave is gone or Dwayne is gone do we have any elders here today the one playing the organ of course um if there's a couple other people um look if if you want to come up and you want to get on your knees or stand at the altar and and physically physically kind of in, in a show of physicality lay something down at the feet of Jesus do that as we're singing if if um you know if if you're sitting here and and you oh, Rob's here I'm sorry I didn't see you there um, we do have two elders in the house this morning um you know just if a few people would just kind of keep an eye on people up here and if there's somebody that just looks like they're just needing somebody to to put a hand on them and to pray for them. Just do that. Just Let's just spend the, the remainder of this service singing about and focusing on the greatness of our God.